Uh, I'd like to uh, begin by introducing this new series that we're going into over the summer months. It's called God's Anointing. And it's a deep study into the lives of two men in the Old Testament, Saul and David. Now, I have here in front of me uh, some olive oil. And in the olive oil, there is myrrh. Remember, like the wise men brought frankincense and myrrh. Um, privileged to be in, in Eastern, in, in the Middle East and see what myrrh actually looks like and smells like. It is a very powerful smell. Um, and if you have essential oils that have myrrh in them, you know that it's a pretty powerful smell. Frankincense, not so strong as myrrh, but uh, very strong scent. And then cinnamon is also in here. Now, is there anything magical about this? No, absolutely not. But it, it smells kind of cool. <laughs> it has a very unique smell to it. Now, some of you will know from essential oils that these aromas have some uh, properties in them that you would, would say is, has some healing properties to them. Maybe you put peppermint oil for headaches and things like that, or I don't know. I don't do that. Other people do. My wife does it. Um, she likes that peppermint smell. I, I don't know. Just give me a pill. Anyway, the reason why... <laughs> just, just give me a pill. Uh, the reason why I wanted to share this with you and tell you what this is like is because there are over 20 times in the Bible when they talk about anointing someone with oil. There's, uh, there's a time when uh, they talked about pouring oil over Abraham's head and it's rolling down and running through his beard. Now, everybody here was kind of, be kind of, you know, kind of grossed out maybe by that. But yesterday I was at a wedding and this man who was getting married had the greatest beard I've ever seen. This long, luxurious beard. Like, I mean, it was beautiful. Like a man crush on this guy's beard. Okay? But as they were getting him ready for the wedding, they were braiding his long hair. He had long hair past his shoulders and this beautiful beard. And they put beard oil in his beard. And it was beautiful, shiny, right? And it was just made it more luxurious. In the Old Testament, and in Old Testament times, people used oil in that same way. They use oil for a lot of different things. One of them, uh, the fragrant oil, especially here, was to remind us of God's presence. So sometimes they would burn incense and have oil in the temple. And these fragrances remind us that our prayers are lifted up to heaven. And the Bible tells us that sometimes the elders are supposed to go and pray over someone who's sick. Because of my back, I've had the elders from Discovery Church come and pray for me and anoint me with oil. Now, is, an oil, is the oil going to do anything special for me? Well, maybe a little bit, but there's nothing magical about the oil itself. But the fragrance reminds me for hours and hours and hours that these people cared enough about me to come pray and that God's power is at work through those prayers. Another way that uh, the Bible uses the word anointed is what I shared with you just a minute ago in the scriptures from the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And Jesus taught his disciples, he said, look, everything that he did in the book of, of Luke, as he went through that whole, uh, as Luke records the whole uh, the life and the works of the disciples, the first things that he did was he cast out demons, he healed the sick, preached the kingdom of God. God anointed him. That anointing was being set apart for a special purpose. Jesus was, is the epitome of what every king should be, of what every prophet should be, what every priest or pastor should be. 
He was set apart and anointed for a very special purpose. And as I mentioned to you before, you and I are also anointed. The Spirit of God is upon us. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions about anointing. Um, sometimes you'll hear things like uh, a, um, a shawl is anointed, or a blanket, or a piece of clothing is anointed. And somehow, by holding on to this cloth, or this cloak, or this shawl, that there's some special blessing passed onto it. I don't think that's true. I think that that's, you know, I think people are getting a little bit mixed up in it. Sometimes uh, people will say that a person is anointed. That pastor's preaching was anointed. That music from that group, that song was anointed. Maybe you've heard that phrase before and you're like, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> right? What does it mean that it's anointed? It's not like they went over and poured oil down their head and came down their beards and, you know, <laughs> over their makeup and whatever. Not like that. Uh, it, it refers to something a special gift of God in a moment or in a time or for a purpose. And so through this series, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at King David and King Saul. Saul was the very first king of Israel. And one of the first things that they did was that they anointed him with oil. It was a symbol to the whole nation that he was set apart for a purpose. But not long after this, David, who's a young boy at this time, is also anointed king. Because pretty soon after this passage that I'm going to read to you, King Saul starts to screw it all up. So how does this work? You know, if God is anointing someone for a special purpose, doesn't that mean that God's spirit is with them? Yes, it does. But what you do with that spirit, what you do with what God has given you, is going to make all the difference in your life. If you've been given a gift and you never unwrap it, that would be foolish, right? You hold this gift and you never unwrap it. Uh, it would be like, you know, uh, well, it's just foolish. You wouldn't do that. You would unwrap the gift that someone has given you to see what it is and potentially have it bless you all the time. But, Dave, uh, but Saul here in this passage receives a gift from God and then just begins to screw it up. But this part is not one of those. Kind of sharing with you the long view here of what's going to happen. So let's take a look at, first of all, of King Saul. I've kind of opened the window for you so you know what's coming with poor Saul because he's going to make a mess of it. And here's how it starts. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 8. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. Thank you. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it over Saul's head. Now, can you imagine a whole flask of oil? I don't know what that would have felt like, but uh, that's a lot of oil right there. If you could imagine this fragrant oil now being poured over your head. And, you know, bathing wasn't uh, a regular occurrence <laughs> in this culture. Uh, it would actually be felt like a cleansing for him. It would have felt very special. And the fragrance from this would have lasted with him for, well, it could have been weeks before he was able to change all his clothes and, and wash it all off. So anyway, here's the special thing. And he kissed Saul, this is Samuel the prophet, and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be ruler over Israel, his special possession. A little sidebar. Um, God never wanted the people of Israel to have a king. And the main reason for that was because kings would become corrupt. 
power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? As the old saying goes. And we've seen enough despots and dictators and uh, revolutionaries who fit that description. Absolute power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, right? Uh, And so God never wanted a king for Israel. He said, look, I'm going to send you prophets, priests to lead you. You don't need a king in order to do that because he's just going to tax you. He's going to take over. It's interesting here. I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be ruler over Israel. The passage is not using the word king. And yet Saul became king. Samuel knew that any king was going to be tempted to mess it up, to want money for himself, to want to take advantage of the people. And so he's already warning Saul here, and he does the same thing with David. You will become ruler over Israel, not king over them. They're going to call you king, but you're just ruler over Israel, God's beloved people, his special people. I heard this uh, just the other day. Why, why does he call Israel his beloved people? If you're a follower of Jesus, did you know that you're beloved? Do you know what that means? That lady sitting right there, she's my wife. Uh, now, I like all the rest of you, but she's my beloved, right? She's the one that I love deeply. God says each one of you are his beloved, He will set you as ruler over his people that he loves, his beloved people. And so now this is a very sacred moment for Saul. Saul's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe what God has just put in my hands, right? This this, uh, anointing to be king over Israel. Verse two, when you leave me today, you will see two men beside Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. Uh, By the way, I had to get a doctorate in ministry in order to pronounce all these words. Um, they will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father has stopped worrying about them and is now worried about you. And he is asking, have you seen my son? Right in this passage beforehand, Saul is out wandering around, has lost his donkeys. <laughs> I just think this is hilarious. He lost his donkeys. Donkeys are not dumb, by the way. They don't get lost easily. So for a man who's supposed to be a donkey farmer to lose his donkeys means that there's probably a problem with the farmer, not the donkeys. Okay? Saul's out looking for the donkeys. He can't find him. Bumps into Samuel. And Samuel anoints him. (laughs) Comes out of the blue. Pours oil on his head and says, you're going to be the king. And as a sign to you, what's going to happen is that uh, they will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father has stopped worrying about them and is now worried about you. And he's asking, have you seen my son? When you get to the Oak of Tabor, you will see three men coming towards you who are on their way to worship God at Bethel. One will, bring three, one will be bringing three young goats and the other will have three loaves of bread and the third will be carrying a wineskin full of wine. They will greet you and offer to you two of the loaves which you are to accept. One of the things that happens when you are set apart for a purpose with God, for a holy purpose, a task, when you are anointed, when you're called to preach and to teach, or maybe you're, you're going to testify about what God has done in your life. Maybe you're going to sing and play music for God. When God gives you that anointing, there's blessings that come with that. There's an opportunity for God to step in and give you a blessing as a result of you being obedient to his anointing. Uh, there's a, a a lady who, uh, Cindy Jacobs, in an article on the Charisma magazine, she said that this is what um, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is like. It's joy. 
It's passion, power, glory, confidence, boldness, authority. It makes you cry. It makes you laugh. It gives you righteous indignation. It is the power to preach, to sing, to witness, to testify, and to do spiritual warfare. It's peace. It comes on suddenly, and it takes time. It's meek, and it's strong. The anointing will come and get you through the death of a loved one, the rebellion of a child, a midnight of divorce, the challenge of a special needs child, or the pain of a suffering parent or loved one. God's spirit will come upon you and bless you and give you what you need, a special anointing to get through what you're going through. Isn't that amazing? And as a result of that, there is a blessing awaiting you as well. And oftentimes we won't see it until afterwards. How many of you have gone through a period of suffering and it wasn't until much later that you recognize God's blessing in your life? Yeah. Well, I think all of us can probably recognize that. But in the moment, it's like, God, what are you doing? Like, why, why is this happening to me? All right? Uh, you know, who do you think you are putting me through this? I had a conversation with a lady yesterday and uh, she said, you know, I, I just... I just my husband has had cancer three times and I just don't know if God is even out there. How could God be there if he won't heal my husband? She's not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus, right? But she's talking to this minister guy and that's the first thing that she says to me. And a lot of us can relate to that. Where was God in the middle of it? But for many of us, what we recognize is that after the suffering, when we get through it, we have seen God's hand at work. Something happened. He did something. He created something. Maybe he healed. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he blessed us in a different way by protecting us or caring for us. And we saw it in a different way. Verse 5, when you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the place of worship. And they will be playing a harp and a tambourine and a flute and a lyre, and they will be prophesying. I don't know about you, Sam, but I've never heard of a lyre before. Have you? No? I don't even know what it looks like. Do you know what it looks like? Is it kind of like a guitar? It's a very small harp. A very small harp. You should probably buy one, yeah. You, you need to add it to your collection. <laughs> you should see Sam's collection. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Kim is like, no, that's enough. <laughs> At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Look at that. You will be changed into a different person. Where to go? I don't see it. There it is. And you will be changed into a different person. So here's this moment where Samuel is set apart. God is going to use him to help rule the nation of Israel, his beloved people. When he obediently steps forward into this, God says there'll be blessings for you. Here's a reminder that there's people on the way who are already, you don't even know who they are and you're going to bump into them and I'm going to tell you this and you're going to receive a blessing and then you are going to prophesy. My goodness, that's quite the dramatic change for this guy, Saul. After these signs, verse 7, take place, do what must be done for God is with you. And then go down to Gilgal ahead of me and I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And you must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. So Saul is about to do something incredible, right? He's going to be participating in something incredible. God anoints him with oil through the prophet Samuel. 
he has this visible reminder, this, this odor, this smell. This is a reminder of God's anointing. But now he's got to wait for the moment to arrive when this is all going to happen. Now, God uses this method of reminding us in all kinds of different ways. Um, when I was younger, um, I went to a camp, Christian camp, and they gave us a little stone, and they told us a story about this little stone, and we each got one, and I put it in my pocket, and it was a reminder to me of the story that they told, and it helped me to remember. When I went to Israel, um, I found a piece of alabaster on the, on the side of the road, and so I picked up this piece of alabaster, which was what was made the jar that held the anointing oil that Mary Magdalene broke open and poured over the feet of Jesus. Beautiful very fragile stone, creamy, um, brownish, white stone. And it's just gorgeous, but a reminder. And this fragrant offering was poured out over Jesus' feet. It's all these reminders about how God is going to be at work. But the problem often is, is that we get these reminders. Maybe even God points to us, uh, gets right into our face or grabs our heart. And, and in those moments, we were like, I know that God was speaking to me. I know that God was here in this moment. I know that God wants me to do something powerful with this next stage of my life. And then we drop the ball. Anyone else been there? I think some of you have. You've been sitting listening to a sermon and you kind of felt, God, you are so, you're speaking to me so clearly. But the next step, which was obedience, which was doing something that you knew that God wanted you to do, or begin the change in you that God wanted to change and you resisted that change. That's what's going on here with Saul. God wants him to be king Saul's a kind of nobody. Nobody knows who he is. He's from the smallest tribe. And then he's put in this place where he's supposed to be king. And then what happens? Verse 9. As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. That's an interesting statement. God gave him a new heart. Just go back one. Um, God gave him a new heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. Many of us have heard stories about transformation, about people's lives being transformed. I don't know, if anybody heard the story about George Foreman becoming a Christian? Remember George Foreman, the, the, the heavyweight? George Foreman? I found this story about George Foreman. One of the most improbable transformations in a person's life is the turnaround of the boxer George Foreman. From a surly, scowling boxer to a teddy bear. He called himself before the most... Uh, he called himself before the most destructive heavyweight champion ever. Anger, hunger shaped his youth as he grew up. Foreman said that he was a mugger whose only goal in life was to go to jail and come out with a scar to impress others. Foreman began to beat Joe Fraser for the title. Sorry, Foreman beat Joe Fraser for the title in 1973, but lost it to Muhammad Ali the next year. In 1977, Foreman thought of quitting and giving up. And, and, and he felt defeated when nothing short of a miracle happened. He explained his conversion or his becoming a follower of Jesus. He says, I saw the whole world crumble behind me and all I had was nothing. I had to leave all of it in the world. I couldn't even tell my mother goodbye. I was dead. I was dead. And I started crying and saying, Lord, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I can still box. I can still box. And God said, I don't want your money. I just want you. He testified this, 
He said, God took me all over the country fighting, and I was just trying to exalt George, George Foreman. Now, I'm going all over, the, over to try and tell them about Jesus. Did you know George Foreman is a minister? And he shocked the world at the age of 45 in 1995 when he went back and he won the heavyweight title. George Foreman was so miserable and God changed him, transformed him. Some of us, we just need that transformation, that ability that God can give to bring transformation into our life. I don't know what stubborn sin is still stuck in your life and you've been crying out to God for transformation and you're praying and you're praying and praying. God can do that. He can bring about transformation in your life. Um, verse 11. When those who knew Saul, sorry, verse, uh, back to verse 9. No, 10. That's where we start. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming towards them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. And when those who knew Saul heard about it, they exclaimed, what, is even Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish become a prophet? And one of those standing there said, can anyone become a prophet, no matter who his father is? So that is the origin of the saying, is even Saul a prophet? And when Saul had finished prophesying, he went up to the place of worship. Where have you been? Saul's uncle asked him and his servant. We were looking for the donkeys, <laughs> Saul replied, but we couldn't find them. So we went to Samuel to ask him where, where they were. Oh, and what did he say? His uncle asked. He told us that the donkeys had already been found. Saul replied. But Saul didn't tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingdom of God or the kingdom becoming king. So now we've got an opportunity. Saul has been anointed by God, set aside, prophesying. His life has been changed. There's something different about him. And I've seen many people go through this process where they say yes to Jesus. They they, their lives change, but then they leave behind the enthusiasm and the desire to continue to be obedient to God. And it's almost as if they kept walking farther and farther away from God. Watch what happens here next. Verse 17, Samuel, later Samuel called the people of Israel to meet before the Lord at Mizpah. And he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel has declared. I brought you from Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians and all the nations that were oppressing you. But though I have rescued you from your misery and distress, you have rejected your God today and have said, no, we want a king instead. Now, Therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by the tribes and the clans. So here's what's going to happen. They're, Samuel is now bringing everybody together, all the representatives, and they're going to use something called casting of lots. It was an Old Testament way of trying to figure out the will of God. And so they go from one clan to another to narrow down who is supposed to be king. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord and the family of the uh, Matriites was chosen. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? Now you'd figure that if you've been anointed to become king and Samuel says, wait seven days for me to show up and then we'll, we'll talk about what to do next, that Saul would have been right there next to Samuel waiting for the next instructions. But he isn't. And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. <laughs> 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 
So they found him and brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Now just think about this for a second. Here is this man who's hiding in the baggage, and when they bring him out, they see this beautiful man. I mean, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. He uh, is beautiful to the people. Then Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, long live the king. And then Samuel told the people what the rights and duties of a king were, and he wrote them down on a scroll and placed it before the Lord. And then Samuel sent the people home again. And when Saul returned to his home at Gibeah, a group of men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But there were some scoundrels who complained, how is this man, how can this man save us? And they scorned him and refused to bring him gifts, but Saul ignored them. I don't know if you've been hiding in the baggage before. God has given you a gift, an opportunity, an anointing, a special purpose. And maybe you've even recognized what that is. But for whatever reason, when the time came, you were hiding in the baggage. Maybe it's just the baggage that you've been carrying in and around from place to place, right? When God anoints you, that doesn't mean that all of your problems vanish. It doesn't mean that everything that has gone wrong in your life is now perfect. Uh, it actually means that you now have God with you to help you unpack the baggage that needs to be unpacked. Sometimes it's just us hiding from God and saying, God, I, I don't know if I can. I'm not sure if I'm ready. I don't know what to do. If God is going to give you the anointing, a special purpose, then he is also going to equip you for that special purpose. He is going to give you what you need in order to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. And I think far too many of us think that it's all about what we need to do and about how we do it. There was this uh, young protege in a martial arts kind of environment, and uh, he said to his master or his trainer, he went and said, I think I've learned all that I can from you, master. I want now to learn about God. And so the master then took a teacup and a tea uh, a saucer, and, uh, or a, cup, uh, a teapot and a, and a cup, and he started pouring tea into the cup, and he kept pouring and pouring and pouring until the water overflowed. And finally, the young man said, Master, please stop. The, the tea is going everywhere. And he looked at him and he said, you are like this teacup. You are so full of yourself that you don't have room for God. Okay. I think Saul was kind of like this. He said, I, I can't do it. He said, I'm not equipped for this. Maybe Saul was thinking, um, you know, I have to do this all on my own. I have to be the one to do all of the work. Maybe he was thinking to himself, I'm just not the person that uh, Saul said I am. Seven days have gone by, and maybe he's had a chance to think about it, and he's decided to bury his head in the sand. He literally hid in the baggage. But God wants to use him, and he wants to use you. And I guess my question for you today, when it comes to the anointing of God, is if God is ready to give you his spirit and set you aside for a special purpose, maybe you don't even know what it is, would you be willing to step out and let God lead you and give you the power and strength in order to move forward in that way? It's, a, it's kind of a risk. Today, at the end of the service, I've, I've put this um, little... Um, 
stir stick in here. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything spectacular or powerful. Uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is just take the stick and put it on your wrist. I can't, I can't do it on my other wrist because you, you know why. Uh, just put it on your wrist and rub it together. And you'll smell this fragrant aroma for the rest of the day. It's just, like I said, olive oil and some essential oils. Just put a little drop there. Let that aroma remind you today that God has set you apart for a special purpose. When you come past me to leave the service, come and put a little drop on. When we're finished today, don't forget to do that. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, God has given you a special purpose and he's going to help you to see what it is. Stick with us over the summer because I want to share with you how to uncover and to find that purpose and also to see how God can, can transform you into who he needs you to be. Let me pray for you. Father, we want to thank you uh, for the opportunity to think and to pray and to uh, be blessed by the message today, the story of Samuel and Saul. Lord, we know that, um, that there are times when we are afraid to step out in faith based upon what you're asking us to do because we think, well, maybe we just think a lot of different things and we don't want to do it. Would you give us courage right today to be reminded that you are anointing us for a special purpose and that you're calling us to live a life that pleases and honors you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.